0: This is The Bobcats, a Bob Dylan fan podcast. I sung the song slowly as she stood in the shadows. She stepped to the light as my silver string spun. It wasn't a thing I wanted to do ever. I wanted just to sing a song to sing. And as it came at a certain point where I couldn't sing anything, I had to write what I wanted to sing because what I wanted to sing was nobody else was writing. I couldn't find it anywhere. I mean what I felt like what I felt was going on. nobody was writing. you know, I couldn't find that song someplace. If I could have I probably would have never start writing. With a long distance look, her eyes was on fire. But the song it was long and there was more to be sung hello again bob dylan fans and welcome back for another episode of the bobcats a bob dylan fan podcast you may notice i always put the emphasis on the word fan because that's who this show is about those people from around the world whose imaginations have been captured by the unparalleled artistic creations of the continental drifter himself bob dylan as always this is your host matt steichen last night bob opened the tour uh the spring tour in phoenix arizona where he treated the audience to the live debut of crossing the rubicon I was just uh, looking a couple weeks ago on Twitter with Michael G. Smith, former guest, and we were counting up the total number of songs we've seen Bob play live, and I was at 152. So hopefully Bob can keep crossing the Rubicon in there, and it'll help me get up to 153 very soon. I'm joined today by a fan who has seen Bob in concert more than 50 times, going back an amazing 57 years. Last week, she attended a a display of Bob's paintings, drawings, and sculptures at the Frost Museum in Miami. And this weekend, she will be seeing Bob and the band live and in person in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Joining us from California is Nancy Cobb. Hey, Nancy.
1: Hi there, Matt. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you and get to know you. This is a completely uh, cold interview, cold call. Sometimes I have fans on that I've met many times and hung out with and uh, I just saw your name on a lot of the message boards and on the Facebook groups and you always shared cool stuff about Bob. So I thought it would be fun to just uh, have a chat with you and talk Bob.
1: Oh, I think that's great that you found me because I think I keep a kind of low profile and um, I didn't know about your podcasts until you contacted me, but I've enjoyed listening to them since then. And you put me in some very fine company with people, uh, you know, like Andy, who wrote the two books on Shakespeare and Andy Muir and uh, Scott Wormos. So i feel very privileged.
0: Yeah, as I was getting ready for the show, I saw that you went all the way to Miami, as I mentioned, to go see uh, Bob's collection of paintings, drawings, sculptures. It's the largest uh, display of his artwork to ever go on on, uh, display in the United States. Did you travel all the way to Miami just to see Bob's artwork? Are you that interested in his pursuits outside of music as well?
1: Oh yes, uh, and actually, I uh, am one of my favorite tra- traveling companions, who is not a fan. Has never been to a Bob Dylan concert. Uh, she was with me in England, and we went to the Halcyon Gallery there, and she loved his work. And she, she's not. He doesn't even have uh, any uh, Bob Dylan records. So, to me, uh. I wanted to see how it was and how it could possibly, you know, amplify to other people, not just the hardcore music fans. And I was just amazed. I thought it was wonderful. Very well organized and, um, you know, uh, 186 different. Items from all of his series, so I just thought it was great. Uh, I posted a fair amount on it, but I didn't post it in the uh, Dylan Facebook pages. I kind of left it to others to do that, but I posted it on my own Facebook Uh, Which is, you know, more about Palm Springs and travel and stuff like that. But so many people that are my friends that don't know Dylan, they were amazed. They had no idea that he could uh, paint like that and over such a long period of time. So, uh, I hope that this gets out to the world at large, uh, his his ability to uh, paint and also do his welding. I got to say that I was, me and uh, my friend uh, Beth, we were the only ones in there for a while. And then uh, another group came in and it was a teacher with students. And I thought that they were either senior high school or else college age, and they were gathered around one of the paintings in deep focus, and the teacher was asking the students uh, what they saw in the painting, what was going on. And um, so the students at first noticed uh, it was an exterior New York scene, and at first they thought, God, they're all smoking cigarettes, Uh, so this can't be like now. It's got to be maybe in the 70s, they thought it was. And then uh, some of the others said, well, it looks like this guy is uh, maybe trying to grab the girl or kidnap her or otherwise harass her and then some other people said well there's these two other guys in it and it, they two people said they thought they were packing guns that because both of them had their hand in the pa- in their pockets and they um, uh, looked like kind of hitmen. They were dressed sort of, you know, with uh, uh, sort of like old mafia figures. And it, Bob just had a kind of benign title on the painting in the show. I don't remember if it was the one called Times Square or um, maybe Sixth Avenue, which is near Times Square. But in any case, Scott. Uh, Warmouth found out that it was uh, still taken from a movie called Flesh Pot on 42nd Street. And needless to say, I've seen this movie. I don't know if it was X rated or what, but he also put a little still or a little kind of um, I think it might have been from the trailer, which showed what uh, how the the frame was freezed in from the trailer and the trailer gave you a totally different impression. It was the woman running up to grab the guy and it looked like she was happy to see them. So see him. So, you know, what you can get from just one freeze frame sometimes is totally different from what is actually happening. And I think that was one of the points that Bob tries to make that, things aren't always as they appear and sometimes it can be very different. So, um, you know, what I got out of it, but the kids, the student and the uh, teacher, they had no idea about the actual movies that these uh, pictures were taken from or anything. And so, you know, they, they, they but all the deep focus uh, things really do tell a story. They're about people in different situations and about people interacting with each other or not, and so they're very interesting. So this latest thing that he's doing, I think, is you know got a lot of uh, content and you know uh, things that you can see in it that are. That are more than just what you'd see in just a painting like Andy Warhol, you know, with one object in there. And so, uh, you know, I I really I I like this latest uh, uh, series that he's done, and it's amazing to me that he could do all of this in you know two years and so that's just uh, it's almost unbelievable actually but anyway i loved it and i think that anyone who makes the effort to go will really like it it's a beautiful show
0: yeah uh, shifting perspectives has always been a theme of bob's work and and the many layers that are there and different people's interactions and perspectives about what's going on in a given situation Um, music's always number one for me, of course, but it's really cool that students are looking at his artwork and and using it as a learning tool. That's really awesome. Uh, one thing I've always, uh, that I'm really fascinated about it is like the size of those paintings. Like some of them are really big and it's, it's cool to imagine Bob on a ladder or whatever, you know, climbing around, putting those things together. It's almost hard to, hard to imagine that he can do it. But yeah, that he's so talented that not only does he create the greatest music that we have, but he's a painter and a sculptor and a radio DJ and a biography writer. Really incredible, the diversity of skills he has. And of course, I always enjoy the whiskey, even though I'm not a connoisseur of that. I definitely enjoy the whiskey and the iron gates are really cool. Uh, Gives a connection to where he grew up working with iron. So I've always enjoyed those too.
1: Yeah, and I mean, he couldn't have. I mean, like Jackson Pollock, when he did his great big paintings, he, he threw paint on the floor, but there's no way that Bob could paint those uh, <laughs> with them laying on the floor. I mean, so yeah, it's and it, to have such a large painting with so much detail. I know you that people say he uses a projector and stuff like that, but still, it's. It's uh, you know hard to actually do all that. I mean, all that detail, and uh, I guess that's one of the things that with that title, deep focus, that he wanted to make a lot more detail in these paintings than he has in the past.
0: So I mentioned at the beginning of the show that you're going to see Bob in Albuquerque in just a couple of days. I get like a nervous kid at Christmas, when I have a show coming up, I pace around, uh, you know, I'm just really bouncy. And I'm, you know, I'm just like a ball of energy, just so excited when I have a show coming up. So how do you deal with that anticipation? Are you like that? Or are you pretty relaxed?
1: Well, um, I think when it's, uh, I think when it's the very first show of a whole new, you know, time, which it is now going to Phoenix, I would be I would be nervous, but once he starts uh, and he get, I mean, the last tour, I went to uh, three in the last tour and he was just great. All I mean, maybe he had a little shaky you know, walking in the beginning, but I mean, it was it it was I mean, there's a lot of risk to doing this. And, you know, obviously he's uh, 80 years old and uh, but uh, it, it just yeah, I felt great as soon as I saw him, you know, even from the first one. And it's so wonderful that people who can't go can see uh, these uh, great videos and so the, you know, videos are coming out now and uh, so I think that's good for people all over the world. It certainly improved my morale when I saw Shadow Kingdom. and I think Bob is doing more to improve the morale during the pandemic than any other person, you know, uh, for his fans and uh, by doing the all that he's done.
0: Yeah, he gave us Rough and Rowdy Ways. He gave us Shadow Kingdom. And now he's back on the road, just like old times. Yeah, it's pretty amazing.
1: Yes, I sure hope he could go to Europe. I hope that... You know, uh, it seems to me I've been in Europe. I've traveled a few times, and uh, frankly, I feel safer like in Italy than I do in my own hometown. Because you know, people here uh, there's a lot of anti-mask people, and you know, complaining about lockdowns and stuff. And in in uh, some other countries that I've been in, people seem to accept. That sometimes your little freedoms to wear masks are, you know, not as important. I mean, or, you know, they in other countries, it just seems like they're more willing to uh, conform to rules when the rules are in the public good. And so I'm hoping that Bob will be able to go to Europe and, and to, to do the thing as soon as possible, but it sure seems like he wants to by calling it a world tour and to say he's doing it for four years now. I mean, that certainly shows his, his motivation and his desire
0: to do this. So tell me about uh, your oldest memories with music. Your from the same generation as Bob. So did you grow up on some of the same music that he did as far as uh, the rhythm and blues and rockability and and early rock and roll influence? Or what are your uh, first memories of hearing music that you liked?
1: Well, my mom and my dad both liked jazz and swing music. And so I was brought up on that. And uh, through the, uh, you know, Big, mostly the big swing orchestras and the great American songbook. And even when I went to junior high, when you know Elvis came out and then uh, Rock Around the Clock, Buddy, what's his name? I forget, but anyway, uh, not Buddy Holly, Bill Haley. Um, yeah, Bill Haley and the Comets and stuff. Um, I just, I listened to it, but I never got motivated to buy any kind of a record. Uh, until high school, when I could kind of afford a few records, and I would buy jazz records, and so my mom and my dad sort of ended with Stan Kenton, you know, and they didn't like the bebop or the you know more contemporary jazz. But then in high school, that's what I liked. I liked Coltrane and Thelonious Monk and Miles Davis. So I didn't I didn't really listen to either folk music or really R and be, um, you know, when I was in
0: high school. So how did you make the big leap to Bob? When did you hear Bob for the first time? Do you remember?
1: Yes, it was when I went to Berkeley and um In those days, um, you could get a cheap education. And in those days, people worked their way through school. And uh, I did. I had a little job. And I also lived in a co-op where you did chores and you reduced the uh, uh, cost of your room and board. And uh, so I knew a lot of people in the co-op. And they were mostly folky people. And so Bob, we listened to Bob's first album, but for them, it was, you know, he was neat and some people liked his voice, some people didn't, but he was one of a group of Joan Baez and Ian and Sylvia and Judy Collins and, you know, other folk people. And then also some of my friends like the old blues. They like Lightning Hopkins and the Howling Wolf and, you know, some of the Chicago blues and stuff. So so it was a a, a mixture of people that uh, I knew in Berkeley at that time.
0: That's such an iconic and seminal moment to be in Berkeley. Uh, Were you involved in the protests and marches and things like that at that time?
1: Oh, yeah. I I actually probably was more on the campus doing other things than I was actually studying what I was supposed (laughs) to be studying. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) But also the music, I mean, they had the, you could go to the Fillmore or the Avalon and see three wonderful bands for $3.75 and then they also handed out free posters to advertise these concerts and I hung on the posters for years, but then I decided to sell them and they brought money. And <laughs> but anyway, um it was uh you know they bill um Graham and I forget the guy's name, but the one that organized uh, Avalon concerts, they both believed in bringing different kinds of groups together. So you could hear, like, say, the Grateful Dead. Then in the middle, you'd hear a jazz or a blues performer Probably much older, you know, like B.B. King or uh, even jazz Charles Lloyd. And then uh, for the windup, you could hear like the Doors or the Airplane or, you know, another rock group. And this, you know, I mean. $3 $3 for all of this. And there were no, you lay, were laying down or standing, you weren't really sitting, listening to these people. And uh, so you could walk all around. And, and, um, of course, a lot of people were smoking pot, you know, but um, it was just a wonderful atmosphere. And then with the protests, if you went to a rally, you get free music. You know, there'd be Joan Bias. She played for a few years uh, routinely for protests and she got arrested. And we also saw Richie Havens there. We saw Phil Oaks. The Berkeley house band was Country Joe and the Fish. So all that was free. If you went to the protest,
0: (laughs) wow. So you told me that you saw Bob play the Hollywood Bowl in 1965, which is a legendary show. He played electric for the first time at Newport, and then he played Forest Hills. And then I believe his next live show was half acoustic, half electric at the Hollywood Bowl. So tell me at the time, how big of a fan were you? Was it a big deal for you to go? And then how did you get tickets? Were your seats good? Tell me everything you can remember, because that's just an amazing concert to be at. Okay,
1: well, I I did report on it one time for this Zoom meeting that I was at, and I couldn't remember who I went with. And I, I it just had a blank, and I didn't think at 65, and I was married at the time, that I would be going to the Hollywood Bowl by myself. But my husband at the time, he said he didn't go. And uh, then I think what happened was my dad dropped me off in the parking lot. I didn't drive at that time. And I went into the bowl by myself. And the bowl wasn't intimidating to me because people graduated from the Hollywood Bowl. I went to Hollywood High. I played there in the Hollywood High Orchestra. And, you know, so it wasn't. So I just walked down into the uh, seats that were the uh, seats for the people who had tickets for the whole year, you know, the, the and I just opened the door and went into a box seat all by myself and uh, no security. Um, and so I was very close. And um, uh, next to me were a bunch of people that I would call the folk conservatives, the ones that were they didn't boo Bob, but they were laughing at some of his songs and kind of making fun, especially on uh, Tom Thumb's blues, you know, the idea that Bob would be going down to Tijuana. He looked so young, you know, he didn't really look like he, you know, was had ever done what he said he had done in the song and stuff. So it was a little funny. And then it was the first time that I had heard Desolation Row and people just laughed at every, you know, stanza. I mean, people just thought that was such a funny song, but they liked it. It was, I mean, it got a big round of applause and nobody was booing at the bowl. I mean, even these folkies, I think they sort of, you know, uh, Bob really... And I think this is true even when he went later on to England. He always tried really hard in his acoustic set to to play the songs wonderfully. And it wasn't like he was sloughing off and saying, well, I'm not doing acoustic anymore. I, you just got to listen to my electric. He he did both really good. And uh, that was the way I thought at the bowl. I just thought that was a wonderful concert. and. Uh, Uh, you know, I, the way I got home, I know my dad never would have picked me up at the bowl. So the way I got home from Hollywood high was taking the bus from Hollywood and Highland. And so that's the way I got, I got back to my parents' place, uh, you know, after that concert, but that was the first concert I ever went to, um, by myself or at all. And, uh. You know, since I was in college at the time, uh, my parents, I don't think they I figured they couldn't object. And and so they didn't object to it. And, uh, yeah, that stayed with me for a long time, that that first concert. And that made me a a total fan in a way that nobody else was that I knew because nobody else that I knew had ever been to a live concert. Bob Dylan concert and for me the records the records are kind of like drawings and then the full you know beautiful paintings are like the live concerts and that's why I like to continue to go to live concerts even with rough and rowdy ways uh, I didn't like the record as much as I did now hearing how he takes the songs and changes them and, you know, just embellishes them in such great ways with his voice in a live setting. So uh, that's, that's my preferred uh, listening to him. And I got to tell you, I mean, I know I didn't say this before, but I'm just a one trick pony. I I don't, I mean, I'll listen to one concert by maybe other people, but, you know, Bob is the only one that I'll go multiple concerts and follow around now, uh, of any artist. So <laughs> so that's the you know, that's just my obsession.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean there's other artists that speak to me too, but Bob will always be number one. I mean, there's nobody that I would go see, yeah, multiple nights in a row or get in a plane to go see. To me, Bob is above and beyond everybody else. Uh, So in 65, I've heard the recordings of that show. And yeah, when he says one in a one hand is tied to the tightrope walker, the other is in his pants and you can hear the crowd laugh. Uh, Did you have all the albums at that point? Did you know those songs or were you not familiar with how everything what what a live show would be like since there weren't that many to go to in California at that time? As far as Bob goes.
1: Yeah, uh, I I I didn't have. I think I had the bringing it all back home. Uh, but and I I forget when the exact the other two biggies came out, but no, I didn't and uh, and certainly going electric didn't bother me at all. I couldn't figure out why people were being so upset at, at Newport. Or, or, and also, even in the uh, Forest Hills, there were people booing and stuff during the electric set. But out in Hollywood Bowl, you know, it wasn't like a college atmosphere, it was more like a Hollywood atmosphere, you know, with a lot of actors and, you know, more what you'd call the beautiful west coast people you know it was a different crowd it wasn't an academic style crowd at that concert and so they probably didn't even know that people had booed bob in the last two you know last two uh, concerts that you know he was having a big party and all these movie stars were going and we heard about you know how he was you know schmoozing with a hollywood You know, actors and stuff like that. So we just didn't have that rebel type of feeling about him, Uh, you know, that he was, you know, being against the audience or against the promoters or anything the way it seemed like it was in, uh, in Newport.
0: So what's it like for you to reflect back on this almost 60 years later? I mean, did you imagine that his music would mean so much to you that it would be a part of your life for this long? It's it's really pretty amazing.
1: No, I never imagined. But the worst thing that I um, I regret is that I gave up on him. I forsake him. For 20 years And I didn't listen to his albums I didn't go to any concerts And I look back on that After, you know uh, Going back to him after 20 years And I think, man My life could have been a lot better During those 20 years If I had not believed Like reviewers And people who would diss him and, And then decide Oh, I'm just gonna, you know Forget about him. And but my life changed a lot. I went from being an academic to working in a big corporation and moving to Houston. So there was a lot of things that changed in my life, you know, uh, during those 20 years. But I didn't get back. I went to uh, my next live show was at uh, the Spectrum in Philly when I was working for a drug company in, in Wilmington, and um, I didn't like that one that much. And I, uh, looking back, I tried to figure out why didn't I like it, because I didn't really... I didn't really uh, know that much about the band, but after that, I loved the band's music. And I, you know, I I, that was another group that I bought records from and. (laughs) And but why? And I thought, why? And I thought maybe it was just that I was too cheap and I didn't like the venue because, you know, Berkeley, we got used to all this free music and nice little places or, you know, spontaneous things. And here I went to this arena that I'd never been to for anything else. I also it was loud. And I think in 74, maybe uh, at least in my the point of view the sound quality wasn't that great you know I couldn't really hear Bob's, Bob's voice the way I wanted to hear it and and, and uh, so maybe it was because I just didn't like that second concert and I didn't want to spend a lot of money that I just stopped going to live concerts but you know I, I uh, but I know I also was too influenced by reviews and by what other people said to uh, uh, during those during that time.
0: Well, I think it, it would be difficult. It's it's a lot different than seeing him in a coffee shop or something. I think when I listen to those 74 tapes, there's parts of them I like, but I can also see where they're a little less spontaneous, a little more corporate uh and they're just not as intimate so I could see where you're, where you're coming from you know if you're used to smaller more intimate venues that that was a, a big stadium tour and you know one of the first the big publicized comeback tours just maybe uh harder to get into um so how did you uh get back into it then uh 20 years later you said was it uh, a decision or did did you hear something or how did it how did you get back on board?
1: Well, I heard the album um I I had bought Blood on the Tracks but I couldn't really listen to it all that much the way I normally listen to because I thought it was so sad and and painful and uh, I mean the only song that I really listened over and over again that I just loved off that album was Simple Twist of Fate and um, nowadays I like more of the songs on Blood on the Tracks but it's not I mean I wouldn't put it on my top five list the way some people think that's either their greatest for me it wasn't either number one or number two let's just put that way And then uh, when he got into the um, uh, Christian part, the gospel part, I really rebelled against that. I'm sort of from the left, but I can still criticize the left. And I think one thing is that a lot of people from the left are not very tolerant. And I just couldn't see how even if Bob Dylan were singing uh, Christian music, how it could be good. I mean... (laughs) But of course, I didn't listen to it either. So it's so stupid to have an opinion when you're not even listening to it. But that's it. I didn't want to listen to it. That's and, the last That's
0: the last Bob territory I discovered, too, because for years I'd heard, you know, even people that liked current Bob Dylan would say, yeah, but he did go Christian for a while there. So that was the last Bob Dylan music I ever explored. And now I love his Christian music, even though I'm not really a Christian either.
1: Yeah, me too. My, my actually my favorite um, uh, official bootleg is trouble no more I just love listening to the it, the whole thing and uh, uh and you know that and he was supposed to have had a great band you know I'm not a real expert on the other musicians but I mean he, he convinced that, I mean, it seems like he can make a good band and play any kind of music with them. You know, he just sort of in his way, he teaches them to to, you know, what he wants to and, con- Yeah, uh, to
0: convey what he wants to, to convey. And yeah, yeah. If, if Bob's passionate about something, then his voice is passionate and then he makes it soar. And he absolutely did that in the late 70s, early 80s?
1: Yeah. Well, the way I got back into it was, uh, you know, the 90s was, well, big depression things in the 80s and 90s was just, the, you know, the demise of the left and the coming up of the greed is good philosophy. And then the horrible, sad things with AIDS. I knew a lot of people who died and... And then but in the late 90s, um, when Time Out of Mind came out, um, the one thing I remembered about Bob is that he can kind of he can kind of empathize, uh, and he sometimes gets in trouble for empathizing, like obviously when he empathized empathized with Lee Harvey Oswald, he could say at that, you know, he said, I could understand a little bit about where he's coming from, you know, because uh, Bob is he's been on the outside he's felt like an outsider he's felt tricked and and cheated and stuff and but then i i thought of the time out of mine album is an oj album and i just thought what's he into and those two songs especially can't wait i thought oh man it's he's talking about love turning into hate and even the idea of being so unstable that you don't know what you're going to do next and also like your
0: brain's been bolted to the wall
1: (laughs) yeah yeah that you don't have control of what you're doing and um you know during all that drug culture and everything people don't you know you know it was crack and all that it was just a hard time to live through and um but the album, I mean, it had a lot of great, I mean, I like those two songs, and even though I, I kind of thought, ooh, you know, how, how can you, you know, feel like this and of course i liked uh i loved uh is that the one highlands is on yeah that's the
0: last song oh
1: i love i listened to highlands over and over because i feel like that you know i was single for a long long time and i do things that you know just on my own a lot not just go to bob dylan concerts i travel and stuff like that and so i i could see you know that and uh yeah,
0: that's so a drifting that- that's a drifting album. He's constantly walking through streets that are dead, walking down that dirt road, drifting from scene to scene.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I really liked it. And then also I retired soon after that. I was kind of stuck in Houston for a long time. I, you know, when I went to work, I went to work for an oil company, Exxon. And, uh, you know, when they recruited me, they said, oh, you'll travel the world and blah, blah, blah. But then the oil prices went up and they started cost cutting and and then that went down. And so I got stuck in Houston for 20 Twenty years, and I I really couldn't stand living in Houston, even though I had a good job. And so, uh, and then my parents and my family were all in California, so I never traveled on my vacations. I would come and visit my friends and family in California, and so I couldn't really travel to see live concerts either. So, but when I re- when I retired. Um, In 2000, that's when I started going to Bob concerts. I love the time out of mind and then of course I went and bought every single album after that that I didn't have and then he was really doing good and the you know at least you know I loved all I, I you know when I don't like a concert it doesn't have anything to do with bob it has to do with the venue it has to do with the crowd it has to do with the people around me i mean it's 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 uh Uh, and even if he's in a bad mood, I can kind of figure out, uh, you know, why he is in a bad mood because people, he had fans that are so rude. I mean, um, I, I don't, I think, I mean, I've been to other, uh, people's concerts but I've never been to concerts where people actually walk out and I went to some Bob Dylan concerts there was one in Las Vegas where Merle Travis was the first act and then third of the audience walked out when Bob Dylan started playing and I just couldn't believe it but you know, in Vegas, that's uh, I guess uh, you know in those early days, perhaps uh, you know you just didn't have a whole lot of Bob fans wanting to go see him in Vegas, and uh, so you know it it uh, it took me a while to really feel like people uh, made it a good atmosphere at a Bob concert, you know, and even when his triplicate, his Sinatra stuff started, there were people booing and, you know, stuff. Uh, I, I mean, I never saw people like they supposedly during the gospel days where people would just say, shut up and play to him, you know, when he was you know, talking. I mean, uh, but I never saw that. But I saw plenty of people being rude at Bob Dylan's concerts. But now, and I think you see you see how he's now talking to the audience, and he's now smiling more and stuff like that. He, he's we he, the people who really can't stand his voice, they don't go to his concerts, and they shouldn't, you know. And but it leaves lots of room for people who really do appreciate him. If those jerks, you know, don't go to his concerts anymore, so I I, I think the atmosphere is a lot better now than it used to be uh when i first started going again
0: yeah i think he's hit his sweet spot playing these 2500 seat theaters because the seats are expensive enough that people that are just casually going might not want to go and it's you have to make an effort you know it's it's the 2500 people that want to be there it's not like a 6,000 seat hockey arena where there's a bunch of people that are kind of indifferent. And then when they don't get a greatest hit, they start raising a fuss about things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And let's face it, there's plenty of other artists that are just so nice to the audience. I mean, people like Bruce uh, Springsteen and, you know, let them go to a a place where, you know, that Bob will play what or where Bruce will play, uh, you know, what the audience wants, you know. But we don't expect that of Bob Dylan. And I think that Bob has sort of convinced people that. You know, you have to have a certain amount of knowledge and discipline. You know, you just can't just open your mouth. You know, say whatever you feel like saying, and and uh, I hope not, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I just don't like. I mean, yeah, you know, it just bothers me when people are talking. I mean, if I'm sitting there and people are talking around me, it just really, I you know. Uh, Bugs me. So, uh, I think maybe, I
0: I think maybe he labeled this tour, the Rough and Rowdy Ways tour, kind of as a warning like, heads up, I'm going to be playing all the songs for my new album. So, if you don't know anything beyond my greatest hits, you might want to sit this one out and let the people that really like my modern work come to the show. Yes.
1: And what's so amazing to me is that in this, uh, this last, I, 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 uh, started, you know, I started looking at more uh, reviews and stuff like that lately. And um, there's young people who haven't seen him before that have only started to know him through the pandemic who are now his fans. And to me, that's just wonderful and amazing that, uh, you know, and I think that when you first decide that you're a fan of someone's, sometimes those are the songs you like the best. And so there are a lot of people who like his modern stuff much better than his original stuff where, you know, to the old folks, they, they, you know, they think, Oh, Bob is a man of the sixties and stuff like that, but he's not, you know, he, he changes with the times. and, uh, And I think the fact that young people are really coming in, um, means that the uh, new songs are more important to the group of people, you know, and um, so I, uh, I, I just uh. I don't mind at all that he doesn't play any, uh, or very few. I mean, I heard him play like a Rolling Stone and Ballad of Thin Band plenty of times. And, you know, so I just loved it when he started playing, uh, every grain of sand. I mean, that was just totally amazing to me because that's one of my favorites. And, you know, so, you know, I think, um, I, I just hope that, uh, you know he keeps keeps it up uh, i mean i'd i'd like him not to play every you know maybe well i wouldn't i don't know i shouldn't say what i want him to play
0: <laughs> whatever he whatever want he wants that, to play that right that he plays, yes. whatever he wants to play no
1: <laughs> yeah. but i
0: mean what an amazing accomplishment that someone who wrote the iconic songs of an era 60 years ago is willing to constantly reinvent himself. I know that's a cliched term, but really like cycle through his creativity and and make new things and then try to win over an audience with his new material. I mean, that's just such a gutsy thing to do.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
0: So tell me about uh you said, you, you know, your family wasn't really interested and you started, you know, after you retired, started following Bob around on your own. Was that perfectly fine with you or did you Do you think you at some level kind of craved the idea of like being part of the community that's that is the Bob Dylan fan world? Uh, I know you've been a lot more involved with it now on social media and stuff over the last few years. Is that something that that you think you kind of wanted and that you've liked that you've enjoyed?
1: Oh, well, I just sort of gradually got into it because I was kind of late in coming to Facebook uh, in 2009, I think other people, and then I don't do other things like Twitter and, and that, but the thing that got me going was once I started going to concerts again, um you know, I I would buy my ticket on Ticketmaster. And then I was so pissed off because I uh, would decide to write a review on Ticketmaster. And then I'd see all these terrible reviews and stuff. And so I just thought I'm not even going to do this anymore I'm gonna find another place so I wound up uh, finding Bob links online and starting about in uh, you know 2015 something like that maybe 2014 I started posting reviews of of my of concerts on Bob Links, And Bill was kind enough always to print them. So I was really happy. And the people on Boblinks are much more knowledgeable. But then I didn't meet anyone really who liked uh, Dylan in the way that I did until I started joining some of the Facebook groups. And the first time I met, to, went to a meetup was in Vegas and it was Caroline Schwartz who has a big Facebook group, you know, Bob Dylan fan club. Um, She had a meetup and I got to meet about 20 people. And it was so fun to actually meet people. And uh, then uh, I started going to other kinds of meetups. Uh, A biggie for me was one that the Edlis Cafe had in London when I went to the Hyde Park concert and I met people over in England. And I saw how people were just so dedicated to Bob. I mean, you know, all over the place. And I met in England. We had people from about five countries there, you know, Italy and Spain and even Nepal. And I got to meet all these people. And, uh, you know, I thought he, you know, he, he's a world person. He's he's not just a U.S. and, and uh, he and uh, you know, America's kind of been the reputation of America's going, you know, down the tubes, you know, and so Bob is, a, you know, that's like he's an American and he's making people happy all over the world. And so that was sort of a very nice sort of feeling that I can be part of something good from the United States. And um, so, you know, it's been really fun. I've met a lot of really nice people and, uh, you know, through the Dylan uh Uh, Facebook groups and stuff. So that that's been wonderful. And And you uh,
0: went to Tulsa too, right?
1: Oh, Tulsa was great. Yeah. Uh, I was sort of an academic for a while before I went into industry and I used to go to meetings, you know, academic meetings and people were all it was hard to talk to other people. They, they, you know, they protect their own knowledge and they don't want to, you know, share, you know, but it was totally different atmosphere at, uh, that, that there was about half fans and half half academics. And then they let some of the quote-unquote fans give talks. And uh, and then some of the, ac- obviously, but it was sort of half and half. And the fans, they loved to you know, you like to pick other people's brains and you like to talk and you like to hear what other people do. And so it had a more open atmosphere than most academic things when they're just people from universities around. The fans made it really kind of a nice democratic atmosphere. And uh, the, the people who organized it wanted the fans. I, I was thinking... You know, I wonder if all these people are going to be scholars. But then I found out some things that I just couldn't believe, like some scholars that actually teach Bob Dylan. They don't go to concerts. They just listen to his records and read his lyrics. And I just couldn't believe that, you know, but there's all types and all sorts. And, and, you know, you have your own specialty when you're in the academic world. You try to, you know, have your own niche. But, you know, fans, um, fans just, you know, they're just open and i think it it just contributed to other people being open too because yeah, it was a very friendly atmosphere in tulsa and uh now i i love the idea of tulsa and, uh, and i uh, now i'm a quote unquote founding member so i'll be going to tulsa again in may and uh so you know, it, it it was a wonderful thing in, in 2019, ha- having that happen. And it's wonderful that Bob Dylan is giving his stuff to Tulsa. I think he came from the middle of this country. And, um, you know, obviously, New York and California, they're supposed to be the culture capital of the world. But that doesn't mean that that, has to be forever and it can mean that you know also Tulsa has a big Native American you know influence and so that part is good too so I I'm happy with uh my interaction with Tulsa and you know looking forward to the Bob Dylan Center opening this year so
0: I hope to join you there sometime definitely on the bucket list for me uh uh-huh. you- you talked about going to London, uh, going to Vegas, uh, where uh, what have been some of your uh, maybe favorite shows that you've attended?
1: OK, well, I'm thinking the first favorite show that I attended um, uh, is uh, was one in San Diego and it doesn't have it much to do with what his set list was but whatever but it had to do I'm going to show you my lucky shirt uh this is what I was wearing at this San Diego oh gosh I know they can't see it on the podcast but it was a bright yellow blouse a vintage Mexican blouse with the embroidered turkey on it and this was in an outdoor concert and I was in the fourth row and it was very reasonable for being in the fourth I'm not a big spender. And it was called Shelter Island. And it was outdoors. And it was cute because it had all kinds of little boats and kayaks that could just pull up next to the venue and hear Bob for free. So and they were all very nice. They didn't make a lot of noise or anything. But so it was a very good concert. But Bob... I think I was this bright yellow object in a sea of brown and black. And he locked onto my eyes. I thought it was like lasers pointing at me, two laser pointers. So for about a second, maybe two seconds, Him and I were just staring at each other, and it was like an electric shock went through me. And then it only happened for that two seconds. But the very fact that he must have seen this yellow blouse in this sea of something else, and I understand he's nearsighted. He really doesn't see a lot, at least I wouldn't think, you know, very far Fourth row is still a fair amount away from the stage. But that was my favorite because that was the first time I had a personal connection with Bob. And and the only time, really. And, And then my second favorite one was one where I was trying to... To stimulate a connection and this was in 2019 at the beacon and 2019 <laughs> he had all those mannequins he had the three mannequins behind yep. and i think their names were fiona rachel and david well i decided i was going to dress up like one of the down and then I asked the people behind me I said would it be okay if I just stand for one song so I got their permission and for things have changed at the beacon and here I had a thing about Fiona Hill I wanted to stand there and stare at him with kind of a uh Oh, what do you call it? A stoic expression. I was remembering her testifying and seeing her, you know, talk about the Ukraine and Russia and what she knew. And she was just a really great personality on television. So I stood up there motionless with just an impassive expression on my face hoping he would see me and obviously I knew he could see me but he didn't he looked straight over my head he (laughs) never looked in my eyes he was looking this way and that way and even though I stood there for the whole song I never got the impression that he acknowledged that I was standing there maybe he thought I was rude but the people behind me I mean I got from I got permission for one song. But anyway, but the very fact that I had the nerve to do that, that I kind of gave myself credit for, oh, look at me, I'm doing this. And so that was another one of my favorite, plus the Beacon in 2019 those were just ultimate songs for me the the way that that tour went in 2019 and ending at the beacon i just thought oh he's playing he every night is better I mean i know that's not a great thing if you're writing reviews and stuff you can't just go ahead and say, well i this was better than last night this was better. you have to find things to write about if you're writing a review but but for me that's the way it was 2019 he just got better and better and better and um and then um and that was after the london concert you know where he was using the big screen and looking happy and you know it it just seemed like he was in a good mood in 2009 so uh I mean, 2019, and so you know, those were my two favorite. But now I'll tell you about the horrible concert that I oh, went. Oh boy!
0: To. <laughs> yeah, go ahead.
1: This this was in Vegas, and this was probably at the time. This was about uh, 2006 to 2009. Tem- Tem- it was before Tempest. I know that, but anyway. I had spent more money and gotten closer than I'd ever have before. And I get down there, uh, the seats, and see that people are jostling and talking and everything. Well, it turned out that there was this guy sitting next to me who must have just come off of one of those fake beaches at the, you know, one of those Las Vegas hotels where you, you know, they got sand and stuff. He was drinking and he had uh, he looked sloppy and he didn't have any shoes on and I could smell his feet. Aww. He was sweating. And and what do you, I mean, how can you tell someone to put on his shoes if he doesn't have any shoe? I mean, and he was talking and drinking beer. And that just ruined it for me because, I mean, um you know, I had to sit there next to him. And uh so that was my worst concert.
0: <laughs> we had it was a it was a Merle had uh, uh, Merle co-headliner tour. And during Merle, we had uh we were sitting next to a middle aged gentleman and his elderly mom and his elderly mom and had too much to drink. And she <laughs> passed out and fell over on top of us during Merle's set. And it actually uh-huh. like knocked all three of our chairs like out of the row it like broke the chairs and oh. so we spent literally Merle's whole set being like security come like remove these people fix our chairs before Bob gets out please like don't <laughs> don't let this ruin Bob for us and they did they cleared them out but it took a long time.
1: Well that I went to one in Vegas where I told you that that people were walking out after Merle set, you know, and, uh oh, but uh yeah, luckily uh, uh that's few and far between, you know, so, oh, well also the, you know, the outdoor arenas, there are people that just seem to be wanting to walk back and forth all the time, you know, they can't sit still. And uh, you know, that's, that's bothersome also.
0: So. Oh um, yeah. It's, <laughs> It reveals just how obsessed I am because when I'm up front and Bob Dylan's on the stage 20 feet away and someone gets up to go to the bathroom or go get a drink. Like, I don't care how much I had to go to the bathroom or how thirsty I was. I would never leave the front during a Bob show period.
1: No, no. Well, I've, I, I finally went to a show where I actually got into the first row and that was this Anthem show. The last one, last year and so that is totally amazing and uh yeah i i know it's hard to you know it's still outside my budget and everything but you know i figured that was a wonderful time you know to just be able to do that i know i know that people who are really good at buying tickets they they can manage it but you know for so long i've never even you know Know those ins and outs of getting the tickets, but you know uh, yeah, so yeah,
0: So I'm in Minnesota, where Bob has a lot of personal history, obviously uh you're You're a fan in California, and I haven't talked to any other fans from California, and I've never gone out and seen a show there. Uh, so can you tell me, uh, you know what what it's like to be a Bob fan in Southern California? Have you ever gone to the coffee shop? boxing arena that he owns or you ever tried to like walk around near his house and scope it out? Or do you know, like any local stories of, you know, uh, about Bob just based on being there and being around people?
1: Well, I've only seen one show in Southern California. Yeah. Uh, that's the, oh, and besides desert trip. Of course, I went to desert trip both times since i have been out here in Coachella Valley, but before, i've been to santa barbara which is a very nice venue uh in 2019 and i and i've been to some bad venues one, two banks one in ontario which is sort of looked like a basketball court and then another one um you know oh I won't go to places like the Staples Center and those kind of big. So I really and I have I've I've been in that. Uh, I tried to look at where the boxing arena was, but it's off limits. Uh, I did go into that coffee shop, but I understand that his house is is totally impenetrable it's like it's a jungle totally and people some people who don't even know how to even approach it because there's you know um, he's you know got a lot of acreage now and then there's a lot of foliage and uh, so uh, I've never known anyone recently now my friend Marty who you know I'm tell you about later on his book I mean he was involved when the house was being built but nowadays it's um in the middle of a jungle and uh so you know people don't go there unless they are told how to get in (laughs) and allowed in and so um uh in southern California I've just never known anyone that was a real Real devoted Bob fan. Uh, it's just not been my uh, bailiwick. Uh, even in Houston, uh, the people I know now, I know some really nice fans from Texas now, and I'm going to be going to the San Antonio concerts, and we're going to be joining up together to see him in San Antonio. But, but I never knew these people when I was in Houston actually working for Exxon. And I and, uh, I wish I'd gone to the last, you know, there was a rolling thunder. To, but that was even before I went to Houston in 76. There was one in uh, Houston, but I didn't go. And, um, yeah, as, as I said, I just never went through this in 74. So it's. Uh, You know, it's just a whole different experience for me now, knowing. uh, But in Santa Barbara... you know, I, I'm a, I like the Edless Cafe. That's probably my favorite place on Facebook. And they like to have meetups. They want people to be able to meet each other and get to know each other. So I volunteered to have a meetup in Santa Barbara, you know, and uh, got the place and everything. Advertised it on the uh, you know, on Facebook and everything. Nobody came. I was the only one. <laughs> And so, you know, Santa Barbara's a pretty expensive town. So I would say, and then I went to a student place, you know, where the university people hung out. I went to that after the Bob Dylan uh, concert because I was staying in a hostel. I mean, I couldn't even stay in a regular hotel when I was in Santa Barbara. And, um, these, these students there who were from, I presume, the University of, at, of California at Santa Barbara, they didn't even know Bob Dylan was playing there. They were listening to their own stuff in this, you know, place. And I went there and I was, you know, I I even asked around, well, did you go to the see Dylan dinner i couldn't find anyone that had even been to the concert and so i just thought there you know and so california to me has no Dylan connection really well, <laughs> I, I, mean, I feel i mean if i go to New york that's where i'll go to the village and you know see where he was oh and i, I it's on my bucket list to come to minnesota and visit uh Hibbing and Duluth. definitely do you have you you have been to Hibbing then, haven't you? If oh, yeah. You yep, have... a few times. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah.
0: That yeah. is amazing. I highly recommend going there for sure. But yeah, yeah it's a, we're, a, we're a spread out community and that makes it tough. I think that's why we always try to do uh, like pre-show meetups, like in Minneapolis. If Bob's in town, then you know that a lot of people are, you know, coming and they'll be around and then we meet for dinner or something before the show. So those are always really fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you mentioned uh, Marty Newman, was it? And he wrote uh, the book Bob Dylan's Malibu. And he had some a lot of stories. I read some of those on Facebook about uh, the experience working with Bob over the years and different local California tales about Bob. So uh, what did you have to do with the making of that book?
1: Well, I had to persuade him. Uh, he I got to know him in Palm Springs in 2014. And he actually was, you know, i had been married before. But none of my, well, I won't, I, mean, I shouldn't say none of my, but anyway, my husband was not interested in Bob. I mean, none of them. I mean, well, there were three, so none of them. <laughs> but anyway, um, so Marty, I met him here in Palm Springs. He was the first one I could really have a conversation with, uh, you know, where it could last You know, maybe an hour or so about Bob. And he really didn't come to Bob from the music. It was just a simple twist of fate, like he says in the book, you know, that Sarah was the one that wanted to have a coat made that, you know, she had seen on someone and found out Marty had made it. And then Marty shows up at, Bob's door in Malibu this was before the house was being constructed and Bob Dylan opens the door he, and then and and, Bob, and Marty was shocked you know he had no idea that this Sarah that wanted a coat was related to Bob Dylan but anyway so it led to about a four-year uh, interaction where Bob worked on first making clothes and and sort of uh helping him learn about Malibu area. Cause Bob uh, Marty was a real knowledgeable person about that whole geography of Southern California. And then, you know, taking him on family outings and then later on uh, helping with the house. But a lot of it was, you know, just Marty working with a contractor and, and Bob, pretty much seeing him from time to time. But 74 and 75 were very busy times in Bob's life. And so Marty would only see him, you know, periodically uh, when he was not on a tour and not doing things in other places. And so Marty never hung out with him, really knew any of the band members or any of that part. He just worked uh, you know, on, on, uh, things either with him or with Sarah, you know, and, and the sad thing was that even though other people seemed to know that, you know, Bob and Sarah were having marital difficulties, Marty never did until a final blowing the final, uh, end. And, um, so it was, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, it happened, it was a wonderful time for Marty to know him during that time. But, you know, um, it's, uh, you know, they haven't uh, had any interaction since uh, uh, 1978. And Marty was, you know, he, he didn't even, he doesn't own a computer, he doesn't use a smartphone, except to make phone calls. And, and uh, he's gotten to be a good Googler in the last uh, year. So yeah, on a smartphone, but he had a flip phone until COVID. And but during COVID, uh, I persuaded him to tell a few of his stories and to see how they go over on Facebook. And so he did. and And it turned out they had a pretty good I mean a wonderful reaction because sometimes people post stuff about oh they did this with bob and they did that with bob and it gets bad reactions and and so we were ready to just stop telling stories if we got a lot of bad feedback but it just seemed to lead to you know um we never expected Any reaction from Bob, just we knew how Bob was and and the people, oh, one person who has knowledge about his way of doing things just says the best we can help best you can hope for is benign indifference and so that's what we have we have benign indifference but it was really fun to work on the book during covid and also to get it done for his um, 80th birthday which is a big milestone and and it came around the same time as marty's 70th birthday and marty was thinking he was getting old at 70 and of course you know, 80 is different than 70. And so, you know, it was just a labor of love. You know, I just was, the, I sort of was what they call a story editor. And I did some of the social media publicity, but they're all just Marty stories about his time working. And um, it would be wonderful if Bob would, you uh, say one way or the other whether he painted that picture that Marty thinks this that he painted but we don't expect it and uh, so you know so that's it's sort of a mystery. And that's one reason why I like his art and why I went to that show in Miami. I wanted to see other examples of early works. But the only work that they had in the show that was early were these drawings from 1973 that went into a book uh, called Writings and Drawings uh, that Bob. And this was way before he got to be commercial or to go through any galleries or anything like that. And so uh, we were hoping to see a little bit more that maybe I could sort of compare what we had with others that were known. But the early stuff is very rare. And um, I think that people um bob doesn't like people who he didn't give a painting to to benefit from you know he doesn't like people to make money off of things that you know maybe their last relative has like you know and stuff so i'm hoping that any early works that his friends have um Get donated to the Bob Dylan Center, or somehow get out there to the public. But you know, not you know, money shouldn't be made off of gifts. I agree with that. And so, um, you know, but so that's what our goal is: is to if we can figure out that Bob did it, then then we'll donate or Marty will donate it to the the Bob Dylan Center. I mean, we we think that things that are early should be seen and just like Bob wanted all his archive to go somewhere that people will see. And so uh but anyway, um you know we we had fun writing the book and uh so we hope that uh we can get it into bookshops so far We're just starting to get it into bookshops. It's out on Amazon. And of course, Amazon sells all over the place. But, you know, it's harder to get it first on Amazon and then into a bookshop. That's harder. And so you have to work at that to to get that to happen.
0: You mentioned at the beginning of the show that your parents like jazz music. And uh, you told me that you met Mose Allison one time and uh, that had a Bob connection. Can you tell me about that? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, this is when I lived near Albuquerque and, um, uh, I was visiting Albuquerque. I was from Palm Springs, but I always go back to Albuquerque at least a couple times a year because I still love New Mexico. And I'd gone back there for a Bob Dylan concert. It was at the Journal Pavilion. And then the very next day, there's a little uh, in Old Town Albuquerque. There's a little uh, park uh, by the church and a little cupola in the middle. And there was going to be a Mose Allison concert. So I was there, and then I forget who was playing, maybe a local group or something, but then it just started raining pouring down rain. And there was this beautiful grand piano in this little cupola, and the wind was uh blowing and the rain was down, and um uh, they started covering up some of the speakers with tarps and I was so worried about the piano and I went all wandering around the side and and then I saw Moe sort of sit in there very dejected along the side, you know, worrying about the rain, probably. And um, I just went up to him and tried to encourage, I said, oh, the sun, will, sun will come out for you, you know, blah, blah, and I'm trying to cheer him up. And, and he says, I, and he, I said, you know, I had a a dream last night. I said, I was at the Bob Dylan concert last night. And then when I came home and went to bed, I had a dream that you were there too, seeing Bob Dylan. And then he invited you up on the stage to sing Parchment Farm. <laughs> and then he opened his eyes and he looked at me and he says, where are you from? <laughs> and it wasn't like what state, it was more like what planet, you know. <laughs> and, and but anyway, he, I know Bob Dylan loved Moe Allison's music, I've read that. And of course, uh, you know, Moe's I mean, he was one of the ones I knew about in, in high school, you know, he was uh, one of the old white blues, you know, of Mississippi. You know, I mean, I love this music. And sure enough, the sun came out and he played, you know, he played a nice concert. Uh,
0: so I want to ask you, um, you said before that the record is just like a drawing, but it, live it turns into this wonderful painting. So I, won't, I'm, I want to know what uh, what it is about the live experience that makes it resonate with you so much.
1: Well, it's because I always hear different things even if it's in the same song. Uh I I I hear him sort of trying to do something on the piano and maybe being repetitive or maybe looking at Tony and then and then I see in the next concert that maybe what Bob was playing on the piano is something that is now being played on the guitar. I mean, in the next show. I mean, so it just doesn't bother me that he plays the same things. I sort of hear uh, sort of an ongoing kind of uh, change to the songs. And then I also like the idea that like you say, everyone is, the, his fans are so devoted. I mean, we all, you know, really look for things that, uh, you know, that are original because there's so much there to find that is original. I mean he changes the word sometimes, he changes the phrasing. He can make a song into a reggae song, or he could even make it into a march, or I mean he he has just so many ways of changing his songs and 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 then I really think that he started caring more about his own songs after he started doing triplicate you know and he was singing other people's love songs and he was so devoted to to being the singing with feeling, and then I've really felt that you know after he sang Autumn Leaves for a few times, and then he can go back and maybe sing Forgetful Heart or or Simple Twist of Fate a different way. And so I I just like the way he he and he's he's got so many different ways of using his voice. I mean, low and high and drawing out notes and then sort of talking and sort of telling stories. So he's just, he's just so original, you know, I, so that's kind of what I like. They're
0: selling postcards of the hanging. The passport's brown The beauty parlor is filled with sailors The circus is in town Here comes the blind commissioner They've got him in a trance One hand is tied to the tightrope walker The other is in his pants. And the riot squad, they're restless Need somewhere to go. As Lady and I look out tonight from room. You have been listening to the Bobcats, a Bob Dylan fan podcast. You can find back episodes of the show on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Please feel free to rate, review, and share a link to this podcast with your Bob-loving friends around the world. For the latest Bob Dylan news and commentary, follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Once again, thanks for listening, and be sure to join us next time for another episode of The Bobcats.